Thank you so much. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be in San Antonio. I'm from Colorado, and we are officially in boots weather. So we just pull on our jeans, we put on boots, we put on a scarf, and it feels really fun in October. And then in April, we're tired of our boots, and we're tired of our sweaters, but we still have to wear them because we get snow all the way through April, and so pray for us in Colorado. I have so many precious family members with me here today that it's really, really, this has really been a special weekend for our family, and I'm so blessed to to end it here with you, and I believe that God has something really, really special to pour out over you today. So let's just start praying over this house. Father, I just thank you. I thank you for this place, Lord. I pray that you would multiply what's happening in this place, Lord. I pray that you would bring great increase, healing, joy, restoration of lives, Father. That you would do all that we can imagine and even more in this place. Father, I thank you. I pray that you would pour out a double anointing on Pastor Randy, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing and for what you're going to do in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, as Pastor Randy said, my name is Rhoda Schultz, and I'm from Denver, Colorado, and I am the mother of five children, five beautiful children. My oldest daughter is 29 years old, and she is married and has two beautiful children. My next child is 27 years old. He's wonderful. He is married with one baby, so I have three beautiful grandchildren from my two oldest children. And then my next child, Levi, he's in graduate school, and he's probably going to get married next year. My son, Zachary, is also in graduate school, not ready yet to get married. And my youngest, Claire, she just started college at Grand Canyon University. So we're missing her very much. She's in a faraway land called Phoenix. And so you'll have to forgive me this morning because once I turned 50, I can't see the way that I used to. So if these come on and off, you're just going to... Also, I'm having troubles with my phone. So how many of you have entered the land of looking for your phone while you're talking? How many of you have ever done that? Okay, I've entered a new phase of that, which is I remember leaving my phone in the kitchen. So I'm in bed remember my phone was in the kitchen. So I go to the kitchen, which is dark, and I turn on the flashlight on my phone to look for where it might be. What is happening to me? I don't even know who this person is anymore, but I'm having, I'm, I'm entering a new phase of, um, I might need to put Velcro on me to stop losing things and, and, And how many of you moms, if you text your children and they don't text you right back, you just go from zero to we're going to go to the hospital, right? Because you know they they have their phone in their hand all the time, so if they're not texting you back, something is terribly, terribly wrong, and it's on the side of the road, and the police are there, and you need to call it so the police see it lighting up. That's where I am. That's, that's the new phase of life I've entered. But it's so good to be with you guys here today. I want to open up, and I want to start by looking in the book of John. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to John 15. 
If you have your, your phones, which obviously I just told you that mine is a situation, if you have your phones, turn on your Bible app, and let's go to John 15. I'm going to read from the NIV. The ESV is very similar, um, but I'm going to start reading in verse 1, and we're going to go to 8. I am the true vine. This is Jesus talking. I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he trims clean so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's great glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. In the King James Version, the language is is even more beautiful. The, The language says, abide in me, and I in you. Abide in me, and I in you. And I don't know about you, but I could stay there all day just talking about abiding as beloved sons and daughters, just remaining in him and him and us. That's a beautiful life of a believer, and it's a very privileged life. And I love how that word abide just encompasses the whole purpose of the vine, but I don't want to talk about abiding. I want to talk about the process that comes with abiding. In John 15, let's look back at 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he trims clean so that it will become even more fruitful. He trims it clean. He prunes it. So what the word is saying here is that if you're a fruitful vine, which is good, he will continue to trim you and prune you like a master gardener because he's creating something beautiful for his purposes. He's a master gardener. He knows how the soil needs to be. He knows how it needs to be not too wet or the the roots will rot. He knows that it needs to not be too dry or the roots will wither. He knows that if he cuts the branch at a certain angle, he can actually force the branches to go a different direction for his purposes. He knows how much fertilizer to put on. He knows um, how much sun it needs. He's a master, master gardener. And obviously, this illustrates the nature of of the believer and his relationship with the Lord. So number one, we have a vine dresser, and he's a good vine dresser. He's our father. Number two, you probably know the vine is Jesus. 
Number three, the branches are us as believers. And the fruit, number four, is that which is naturally produced from relationship, from abiding in him and him abiding in us. That creates fruit. So the, the vine doesn't have to say, I believe I will make grapes. I confess grapes. I believe for grapes. No, grapes will grow if you abide in him and he abides in you. It's a beautiful relationship between the master gardener and the, vin- the vines. God rewards all growth with pruning. Let's look at verse 2 again. Every branch that does bear fruit, he trims clean so that it will become even more fruitful. Pruning in the kingdom is not punishment. Let me say that again. Pruning in the kingdom is not punishment. Jesus took punishment upon himself for us. He took punishment on himself. Pruning feels like punishment, but he's doing it for our good to to produce multiple blooms. I don't know about you, but I am happy if I just get one bloom from a plant. I am praising God for days because I was born with a literal and and real brown thumb. So I have two little plants from Costco. I bought two plants for my 50th birthday because I was like, Lord, my 50s, let them be a year where I can grow a house plant. Just one house plant. I can either keep humans alive or I can keep plants alive. And my husband is at least grateful that I have the, this gift over here of keeping humans alive. But I've never been able to to keep plants alive. So I have two miserable little plants from Costco, and I've kept them alive for two years, and they're in the corner of my kitchen. And when people come to my home, I'm like, and here are the plants. And they're, they look like a plant that any junior high stu- or any middle school student could grow. But it's, it's, I'm, I'm making progress. My cousin Michelle here, she was given the Torres green thumb. All my aunties and mother here in the, in the second row, they can all grow anything without even thinking of it. So I, I prayed that I would be able to keep a house plant alive, and I'm Barely, barely keeping up with that. God rewards our growth with pruning because he has something really beautiful in mind. When I was 18 years old, I visited Israel for the first time. And when I visited Israel, we were in the north part of the country, and the guide told us to look out our window. We were in a bus, and to our left were olive groves, and I've never seen an olive grove. I grew up in Colorado. I I open a can of olives. I've opened jars of olives, but I've never seen an olive grove. So in one field, you would have big, ancient, beautiful, gnarly olive trees. How many of you have seen them? They're just, they're beautiful. In the next field would be olive trees that look slightly trimmed back, less leaves, less branches, then the next field would be trimmed back even further where you have an olive tree with the branches cut back very close to the, to the tree. 
And then finally, the last field is just stumps mowed down to about here. And then it starts over again, big trees. And so that's how they, that's how they grow these beautiful olive trees in Israel to press and make olive oil. And the guide said to us, that's how our lives are. This is how our lives are. Sometimes you'll be in a season of great, big, beautiful, shiny leaves. How many of you love those seasons? Beautiful, shiny leaves, heavy fruit. Or you might be in a season where you are mowed down to a stump. And both of them are fruitful trees. They're both being used for a very specific purpose. And it's necessary that they be trimmed to be more fruitful, to be healthy, olive-growing trees. It's the same with our lives. The story that I have about the pruning of my life, not the only pruning of my life, because he'll continue to prune me, for his purposes for the rest of my days because he rewards growth with pruning. I wrote a book called Lost and Found, A Prodigal's Journey Home, and if you want to meet me at that green table back there, I would love to give you one for your family or for someone that you know who might need this story. I was raised in a very loving and beautiful home with my grandparents being the greatest spiritual influence of my life. I was blessed with God, four godly grandparents, and my mother was a working mom. She was very loving. She um, went to work and left me in the care of my grandparents. So I grew up in a home where breakfast was spent around open Bibles and coffee and probably eggs and a little red chili. So I grew up in a home where this was the central theme of our day. This was the starting point of our day. This was the ending point of our day. And I met and married a beautiful boy at church, and we got married when I was 19. He was 23, and we had five beautiful children that we raised in the Lord. So much love, so much joy, ministry, sports, um, beautiful, connected relationship with our children. And when my oldest son, who is our second child, got into high school, we started seeing a cycle of connection with him, and then something off was happening. And then respectful connection, and then something odd. So we went through cycles in his high school years where we just sensed that something in the landscape was unfamiliar to us. And I don't know about you, but I don't love scary movies. If I see even a commercial for a scary movie, I don't love that sensation of being scared or being surprised or being, you know, horrified. But that's what I felt like this season was. It was just the landscape was changing and I didn't know what was around the corner. I didn't know what to expect. And so when he graduated from high school, he started college and he confessed to my husband because we had a close connected relationship. He confessed to my husband that he was addicted to drugs and alcohol. And 
he knew the destruction. And he was aware of it, and he desperately wanted to get out. So we contacted a Christian counselor because we were way out of our depth. As, as young Christian teenagers ourselves, we just were, we were in a little over our heads. So we went to a Christian counselor. We tried taking him from one college campus to another college campus, and then we would take those failing grades from that college campus to another college campus, each time believing that a reset was going to be the answer that he needed. A fresh start at a fresh school with fresh friends would be the answer because I was, I was very hopeful. I was just certain that this was going to correct itself. So in February of 2011, our oldest daughter, Amanda, became engaged to a beautiful young man in ministry, and we were celebrating her engagement for later in the summer, and the very next day, our son was arrested for a roadside fight. So we um, wrapped up our celebration for our daughter, And we went and bailed out our son from jail. And we just, I just knew for sure, oh, maybe this will end up in probation. And this is what he needed to just snap back to attention. And I was just certain that that this would correct itself. But through the course of the summer, he continued in a free fall. It was as if an elevator in a very tall building just started falling And we were pressing buttons for it to stop, but it just continued in this free fall. His behavior, the addiction, marijuana grew into stronger drugs, and he imagined that his life had more freedom, but really it was bringing him smaller and smaller and smaller. It was was a liar. Drugs and alcohol are a liar. They promise to deliver something, that they never deliver, and his life was just getting smaller and smaller. And when he was a young boy and a young man, he had greatness in him. He, I knew he was going to be a strong leader. I knew he was going to um, influence the world for the Lord. In middle school, he was a worship leader at his school. In high school, he was a spiritual leader on his football team. And so I just knew that he had great things for him, but all of the sudden, it was gone. And we were falling. We were just in an elevator, just completely falling. And during that time, everything I knew from childhood is all I had. So I dug into the word like never before. And I was saved at the age of four. And I looked at the Psalms with new eyes. And the Psalms became my prayer book and my watering hole for my dry, confused self. I was crying out to the Lord like David. I was so desperate for the Lord. I came to understand the New Testament and the teachings of Jesus in a new way. I learned that he describes the kingdom in Luke chapter 15 
when he describes lost things. Some of you might be familiar with this parable, but it starts with a woman who loses a coin. And she has other coins, so it, it could be reasonable that she would just be happy with the coins that she has. But she turns her house upside down looking for the lost coin. And she probably got dirty and dusty doing it. And when she found it, she went out and told her friends, let's throw a party. Jesus was saying, this is the kingdom. This is the kingdom. Lost things are valuable. And they're worth finding. They're worth finding. They're worth getting a little dirty and finding. This is the kingdom. Then it goes on to talk about a shepherd who is in the field with 100 sheep. So it goes from 10 coins to now here. Here's 100 sheep. There's 99 that are unlost, which I think is a pretty good number. 99 are not lost. And so it could be reasonable to think that the shepherd would just be happy with his 99 sheep. But no, since we're talking about the kingdom, this one sheep was so valuable that the shepherd went who knows where to find this lost sheep. And I don't know about you, but since, since I don't live in the Middle East and I'm not around sheep herders, although I think our great-grandfather was a sheep herder, I don't know about sheep. And I imagine that they're sweet and fluffy and very nativity-like and like the Keith Green album cover from the 70s. What was that album named? Songs of the Shepherd. And he has the white sheep around his neck and his beautiful hair and his blue eyes and sheep are so beautiful. But I don't think a lost sheep is very clean. I think a lost sheep is probably mud-crusted and filthy and stuck and lost. And so wherever that shepherd had to go to find and rescue that filthy, filthy animal, bring him back, he was probably mud-crusted by the time he returned to the rest of the 99 But Jesus was saying, lost things are worth finding. They're worth finding. And it ends up, of course, with a story of the two sons, the two lost sons. And as you know, it wasn't just the prodigal son that had a broken relationship with his father, but the self-righteous son had a broken relationship with his father. And the Lord did a unique work through this one because I was self-righteous. He was working that through me. I was saying, how dare you, Lord? How dare? I shook my brown fist in the air. How dare this happen to me? Because I loved my children. I raised them in the Lord. I, I laid down my life for them. How dare them? Just like the son who was saying, how dare? How dare you, Father? How dare you? So the Lord was doing a a unique work through that parable in my life. But the point was still the same. The father had a son who came to him and demanded his inheritance. And then, of course, you know that he left and he squandered it. He squandered his entire inheritance. And he ended up living with the pigs in the pig muck and filth. And so the father 
had every right to just cut that child off, forget about that child, I have another child, even though there are issues with this other child, I have another child. But the father didn't do that. He stayed on his porch at the ready, and he looked on the horizon because that son was worth finding. That's what the kingdom is. He was worth looking for. That father could have been in bed with his covers up to here, feeling self-pity, because I spent time in bed feeling self-pity. But the Lord was pulling me out. During the summer, the Lord was pulling me out of my self-righteousness. He was pulling me out of my pride. And, he, and I was standing at the ready for my son. The father, when he saw his son come over, there wasn't even time for the son to give him his rehearsed speech because the father, he hiked up his robe like this, and he undignified, he ran for his son. He ran for his son. He threw his arms around his neck, and he kissed him, and he covered him with his robe, and he was imparting identity back and sonship back to this boy who didn't deserve it. And he gave him a ring as, a, as further proof of his identity. And that son shouldn't have even been allowed in the city gates. He, he would have been flogged at the gates. So the father was letting him come, and he was doing this undignified thing. He was giving him his robe and his shoes to tell everyone, this is my son. He is my son. He's not... He's not going to eat the scraps off the servant table. He's not going to live a plan B version of his life. I'm restoring plan A for my son because he's worth it. So the Lord was drawing me this whole summer to his word. And I noticed something in Hebrews chapter 11. Oh, my goodness. In Hebrews chapter 11, how many of you know... um, This chapter is about the heroes of the faith. It's the roll call of the heroes of faith. So it starts out by saying, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And it goes down the list. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. Abraham, Abraham, by faith Isaac, by faith Jacob, by faith Joseph. And then we come to this interesting, interesting line that says, by faith Moses' parents did something. And so God participates with our faith. And it was just an act of love. They hid the baby in a basket to save his life. It was an act of love. And God counted it as an act of faith. I was learning how to pray in a new way that I had never prayed before during this summer. I had watched my grandparents pray every morning of my young life, but I was learning, learning not only with the Psalms, but with Jesus himself teaching us that when we pray, this is how you should pray. Pray our Father in heaven. I was learning that I was adopted as his child, and this was my situation and my standing, and I'm freed from distrust because I'm his child. He was my father. I thanked him for the gift of his son on the cross. 
when I prayed, hallowed be your name, I was thankful and I was praying for everything available in his name over my life, over my children's lives in a new, in a new way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I was asking him to extend his lordship in a new way over my life, over my family, over my children's life. It was, he was taking me through a master course of praying because I was cut back. I was now, I was just a stump. He was pruning me and I was being cut back beautifully so. By the time the end of the summer turned a corner, our son was sentenced to jail for a year. And he was released to a work release program where we could come and pick him up every day. But at the moment that they took him to jail, and they, he handed us his belt and his wallet and his tie, we had reached rock bottom. The, the elevator that I was so desperate to stop for a few years had finally reached the bottom and we found the Lord's presence was there at the bottom. We found him there. He was right there. His thick presence was right there. And everything that he had been sowing into my life during the summer as I was crying out to him, everything I learned from the Psalms, everything I learned from Luke 15, everything I saw with new fresh eyes from the Lord's Prayer, everything I knew now from Hebrews 11 that actually mentioned Moses' parents' faith as having a part in this, in this great roll call of faith, it was now my turn to live it out. And so I picked up my son every morning from jail, and I drove him to work, and I picked him up from work, and I drove him to college, and his grandmother, who's sitting right here in the second row, would pick him up from college and take him back to jail every day for a year. This is what we did every day for a year. And when I would pick him up, I didn't want to bring him fast food. I wanted to bring him the food that his brothers and sisters were eating. Even if it was just spaghetti or meatloaf or a burrito, I just would bring him and put it on his lap as we drove and as my way of putting a robe on him and putting a ring back on him and shoes on him to let him know that he was still our son. And so it sounds like that would be a rough way to spend a year, but it was the most beautiful year of my life. It was filled with honor, and it was filled with privilege. It was, um, it was a beautiful homecoming for him because if you know anything about work release, he had to go undergo drug and alcohol testing all the time. So he was now clean and sober. And he was starting to come back to life. Without the dullness of substance on him, he was starting to come back to life. And so he would walk out of the jail, and he would go to his locker, and he would retrieve his phone and his wallet for the day, and he would turn and he would see me in the parking lot, and we would catch eyes, and I would, I would say, my son is alive, and he's breathing. Here he is. He was coming back to life. 
beautifully so. So the Lord allowed me to participate with what his spirit was doing in the life of my son. It was pruning me back and it was trimming me, but it was for the purpose of making me more fruitful. Multiplied sets of blooms that I didn't even know how to grow were growing in my life. And they were making a difference in the life of my son. He was then able to see us live out a gospel that we told him about his whole life. We told him Jesus loves him. Now it was our chance to show him that Jesus loves him. And it was up to him. With, to, it was not my responsibility to manage his heart. Because as you all know, we can only manage our own hearts. But it was my my privilege to serve him and to get a little dirty and to participate with what the Lord was doing in his life, even though it cut me back to a stump, unrecognizable. So in August of that year, I put some mascara on my two living eyelashes that were alive over here and my one eyelash on this side. I put as much mascara on those three lashes as I could and I went to my daughter's wedding And that's when my community that I had held at arm's length for the past two years while my son was spinning out of control, that's where they all saw that our son was not with us at the wedding. And we had nothing more to say than he's in jail and we're in bad shape. And what they did instead of condemn and criticize us was they put their arms around us and they loved us. And they didn't know what to say, which is a good response. Sometimes when someone is going through something so painful, just putting your arms around them is a good, is, is a huge thing without trying to find words that you can't find. And my family, they put their arms around us. And so we spent the next year of our child in jail reconnecting with community who loved him, who believed in him, who just who just wanted to do anything they could. When he got out of jail, after a year, of course, I, I was biting my nail beds, wondering, would he reconnect with friends? Would he, would he continue in old patterns? Would, um, would he find the sober life boring now that it wasn't j- connected to jail check-ins? I just, I just didn't know what would happen. But he continued. He continued on that slow journey back to the Father and back to life. And so my son today is serving the Lord. He met and married a beautiful Jesus-loving girl. And they have a beautiful son that they're raising in the Lord. And God has a plan A version for his life, not to limp around with a plan B version. And God is good. <laughs> But what I'm saying to you, dear beloved brothers and sisters today, is that if the Lord is trimming you back and he's pruning you and it hurts and someone next to you might have big, beautiful leaves, big, shiny leaves, and they're in a season of growth where the fruit is just heavy on their branches. Their branches are just down here. If you're in that season of life, use those branches to shade someone who's hot and dry. 
Use those branches for his glory. If you're being trimmed back a little bit and you're starting to feel uncomfortable, trust him. Trust him. Trust him. If you are pruned all the way back to where you're an unrecognizable stump, trust him. Trust him. He's interested in fruitfulness for your life, for his great glory. Abide in him and allow him to abide in you as he prunes you. Abide in him and allow him to beautifully abide in you as you trust him. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. I pray that through the pruning seasons, love will rise in us and through us. I pray that we would be satisfied in your love. I pray that while we're being pruned, we make you our discipline and our resting place and our home. I pray that you would be our identity as we're being pruned. I pray that as we're being pruned, we would continue to be a voice of boldness and truth, even if our voices shake a little bit. I pray that we would continue to trust you and that we, we would be filled with possibility and hope. I pray for those who feel broken and hurt and abandoned. And I pray that that healing would be a wellspring for others, Lord. I pray that those in here who are in a desert season that they would bloom with flowers and blossoms that they didn't even know how to grow. I pray that in our dry places, you would water us, Lord, that we would draw from the well that would never run dry. Lord, I thank you that you are a masterful gardener, and that you know just exactly what to trim, and you know what you have in mind for us, that you know exactly what to water, that you know exactly what to fertilize, Lord. We trust you, and we thank you that you are a masterful gardener. Lord, we thank you that you care for lost things, that they are worth finding. We thank you that you showed us that by sending us your Son, we were worth finding. And so you're sent, you sent your son to this earth, even to the cross, because we were worth pursuing. Give us that heart, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives, Lord. We trust you. We trust you, Lord. Make us into who you want us to be, Lord. In the wonderful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.